Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, co-host and author of Just Work. And I'm Wesley Faulkner, the other co-host. Uh, I am a developer relations professional and also a podcaster. And today, we don't have a guest. So what we're going to do is we're going to read some of the comments that you've sent in and discuss those. But before we do that, we have a reading. Kim, take it away. All right. So this is uh, a continuation of last time. We're still in chapter one, and I'm just going to jump in. Okay. Radical respect happens in workplaces that honor everyone's individuality rather than demanding conformity and that optimize for collaboration, not coercion. What makes it radical is that it rarely occurs. Collaborate. Collaboration is essential to any great human accomplishment. Designing organizations that promote healthy collaboration requires proactive efforts to combat coercive behaviors from individuals and groups, such as arbitrary, ego-driven, fact-ignoring, biased decision-making, bullying, harassment, and physical violence. When we build management systems that put checks and balances on the power of leaders, they can be held accountable for their behavior and their results. Employees are not silenced. There's growing consensus that coercion, even by otherwise visionary leaders, neither gets the best results out of people nor generates the innovation necessary to thrive in the modern economy. Honor individuality. If we want to benefit from each person we're working with, bringing their full potential to our collaborative efforts, we need to honor one another's individuality rather than demanding conformity. None of us except actors can do their best work while pretending to be somebody they aren't. Yet too often we look for culture fit rather than culture add when we hire, making it difficult for our organizations to evolve and excluding people who could make an important contribution. We often believe we want people who think different, but we're more likely to punish outliers. Telling people to bring their best selves to work while discouraging them from being their true selves at work seems obviously ridiculous, but we do that all the time, usually unconsciously. Successful collaboration requires diversity of thought and experience. Part of the benefit of collaboration is that many hands make a light load, but the more important benefit is that it allows us to challenge each other because each of us has a different point of view, different life experiences. If we were all exact clones, we'd lose that benefit. This seems so simple, so obvious. Why then is the combination of optimizing for collaboration and honoring individuality so rare that I dub it radical? What gets in the way? What can we do to make it less rare? Let's start by identifying what moves us in the wrong direction. All right, I'm going to stop there. So, Wesley, first of all, I have some specific questions, but first yeah. of all, in general, what do you think of that passage? I, I love it. I, I I wrote some notes as you were reading it. And I think what I feel is that everything I'm saying is going to do the thing where I'm saying exactly what you said, but in different words. <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll do it anyway. But in order to have healthy collaboration, what you need to do is have a way of being able to respectfully communicate and disagree and not have 
ad hominem attacks and really talk about the merit of an idea, which those skills as you build them is what makes it really healthy in terms of the collaboration. Some people might hear that you just throw everyone in a room and there's no yelling or throwing of objects and uh, that is healthy collaboration. But it's more to that is just having these tools in the toolbox. The other thing is... um, if you, in order to have meaningful discussion about the the merits or the value of an idea, you also need to define what success looks like. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people do not put enough work into is describing what the definition of done is and what success, uh, what things will will actually describe what they think is successful. For instance, I was in a conversation the other day and someone was talking about is talking about developer relations and what success looks like. And someone put in the comment, well, of course, success is showing how you are, you, you're like spending money or bringing in money and what the bottom line looks like. So if you're not able to bring in money or show how your value is bringing in revenue, it's going to be really hard to say that you were successful. And I had to say, well, it all depends on the company because some startups, especially if you're in high growth, you don't really care about making money. You are there to make sure that you have product market fit. You're there to make sure that um, that there is a real need and that you're solving problems and to get feedback so you're able to scale effectively. That is way more important than to raise money. It's just showing that you have the potential of raise money in the future. So uh, I've talked a lot, but that's basically those skills or what you, those muscles are what you're going to need to exercise. And I think that is implied and uh, and said in a different way that I'm just once again repackaging. Well, it was a good repackaging. Thank you. Uh, and I think you got some some subtlety that I missed in that in that passage uh, because because we do need to figure out sort of be very explicit about what we're collaborating to do. Like what's the most, Mm -hmm. what's success beyond success? I mean, the dollars and cents may be part of that success, but it's not success beyond success almost ever. It's there's, there's something that we're all getting out of these, uh, these efforts. Um, So here's a couple, uh, anything else, or can I, can I ask you a couple well, of questions? And also success questions? could be like milestones. Um, there could be several things on the track to success mm-hmm. that need to be defined because some people, if they don't converge on those waypoints or those milestones, um, then they're, it's the minimus in terms of their effort. So, But if everyone was like on the same boat on the way to that success, even like, let's say it is money, but right now we need to do some education. Um, we need to make sure that the, the, that people know what we stand for or all those different things are part of that, but some people don't understand those waypoints. Yeah. So, so actually it's not success beyond success, but it is how we achieve success. It's actually mm-hmm. in some ways pro- um, profits. If, if you want to boil it down to that in some ways, money is, is like, a lagging indicator. Um, mm-hmm. Leading right. indicator is the way we work. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I think spot on. Yes. Yeah. 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 That is really important to think about because it's like uh, the, that book. I don't know if you read it. The score takes care of itself. 
Mm. Uh, I'm not a football I, player, but anyway, uh, it's uh, it's about I think his name is Joe Walsh, some famous football coach. Uh, and uh, whose name? It's everybody listening will laugh because I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's but the point of the book is that if you if you're only looking at the score, you're missing out on understanding all the things that you have to do to win. You know to. to to get the score. And so if you're focusing on building this collaborative environment and honoring individuality, then that's that the the net result may be the the profits actually. That that these are the 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 leading indicators, not the lagging indicators. For those yelling into your computers or cell phone, it's Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Uh, anyway, but uh, yes, exactly. Um, that's another conversation I was having. Um, this is mostly we have these conversations all the time in developer relations because um, it's it's an, a, a a new industry. I'm sure most of the people listening don't aren't familiar with it. But the motivation in terms of making sure you take care of the customer or take care of the developer and that their needs are taken care of may seem misaligned to sometimes someone coming in and saying, well, why aren't you converting them? Why aren't you putting them into our sales funnel? Why aren't we doing these things that we can capture them and turn them into money? Because they're skipping several steps and not understanding that the relationship, the the, the rel and dev rel and developer relations is actually having that relationship so that we can understand what their needs are so that what they need, we can package what we do to kind of fit what they're looking for. If we're talking about something is extremely fast, but they need something extremely reliable, starting that conversation prematurely means that we are going to be written off almost before we get to the point where we can clarify. Um, So that's why the relationship is that important. Yeah, it's it's a, a transaction. It's not it's developer relations, not developer transactions. Right, right? exactly. And, yes. And uh, and uh, shifting into transaction mode when you should be in relationship mode is a great way to end a relationship. Yeah. Right? And yes. And the thought is, we have a giant pie. There's a lot of things out there. Mm-hmm. All we need to do is find the people who want our stuff. We don't need to convince them. No one's going to say, "Hey, I have a solution to your problem." They're going to like, "No, I don't want." It my problem solved. I like dealing with it. I mean, maybe sometimes, but the the thought is just like, we don't need to sell ourselves. We need to just make sure that you understand what we do. We understand what you do. And then, like I said, I think what you said, that the score will kind of Take care uh, of itself. Take care of itself. Yes. And that's true not only for developer relations, but also for employee engagement. Like when you optimize mm-hmm. for collaboration and you truly honor the individuality of each employee, it's sort of like the, you know, the strength of the team is the individual and the strength of the individual is the team. You you get both, uh, both and. And when you do either or, you get some sort of negative uh, situation. Right. Whenever a company is not internally consistent, people notice. Yes. Uh, yes. So if you have, if you list your list of values, but then your actions say something different, that is something that sticks out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. So I have a question. So one of the things that I wrestled with, and this is early on in the book, and I'll get to it later on, but I didn't get to it right away. So tell me if you think I made the right decision. Collaboration 
the way that I'm talking about it here is like, it implies that it's always a good thing, but sometimes people can collaborate with their team in order to dominate and coerce another team, so to speak, mm. or they, with their group that to, in order to harm. And I mean, we both seen that happen plenty of times. Um, and that's, that is the, you know, that and the worst examples of course are wars. Um, I don't know if those are the worst examples, but the, an extreme example of that kind of is, you know, one army is collaborating with itself in order to kill another. Like that's mm-hmm. um, sometimes necessary, but in general to be avoided. Uh, and so the question is, do I need to get into that? Like collaboration is essential to any great human accomplishment. In an earlier version of the book, I was like, when we work together, there's no wonderful thing we can't do. And when we coerce one another, there's no horrible floor that we won't sink past. Um, well, you could talk about it, but I, like I said, I think it's implied. Um, like okay. you're talking about people need to be included and bring their whole selves, right? Because if you're a person of color or a minority in the room or whatever, people who think like-minded are almost like a collaboration of people saying, we have the numbers. Mm-hmm. everybody but you thinks this is a good idea. So that is a collaboration that you feel that you cannot fight because now you are the odd person. You are the one that would be fighting that idea. And so yeah. I think that's in, in a way that is a, what you're saying in, in what you just read. Um, and that goes back to the fundamental part of what are the metrics for success and how do you handle disagreement, which are both the same? You use the same tool set for that same situation. Yeah, if but I guess if you have, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I'm asking a slightly different question. So, in general, if you're going to have a team of people, you want to optimize for collaboration, not coercion, within that team. Yes. But sometimes you have a team of people, and you're optimizing for collaboration. But your goal of that collaboration is to dominate and destroy another group of people, right? Yes. That's what I that's what I didn't want to talk about. Cause I think I think at first when I was writing this, I was like, collaboration is good, it's always good, but it's not actually always good. I mean, sometimes one group of people can collaborate very well amongst themselves, but they use the the goal. The goal of the collaboration, in other words, has got to be something that is that is that is not harmful to others. There is a, a another a Kim that's um, her last name is escaping me. That is a, talks about DE and I, and she says always the hero, never the villain. That some people, if you say this is should be only used for good, don't the people who are wielding the things in a negative way put themselves as the hero of their own story. Yeah. So it's the eye of the beholder and it's, there yeah. is no way of really, um, really saying that. It's, yeah. There are some bad things that can happen, but it all depends on who you're talking to. Yes. Um, yes. I, I bet if you talk to a lot of members of the Senate or a lot of members of, our, of the house of this fine government, everyone who's participating feels like they're doing the thing that is the right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That um, that helps. So I'm going to just leave that. I'm going to leave it as is. I'm I'm not going to introduce that complexity yet. So should we move on to the question that someone asked us? Yeah, let's go in and 
get the feedback. And I'm super excited that we're starting to get feedback. That means that people are listening and people are contributing. So um, really happy to dive in there. What is the first comment that we have? All right. So it's not a comment. It's a, it's actually a story. So th- this is, I love feedback. I love stories even more. Um, and so this is someone's story and it's also sort of, they're asking us for some advice, like how should they handle this situation? Uh, the person writing in didn't say, but I get the impression that it was that, that this person who wrote in, uh, is, is not, uh, is not black, is not African-American, um, either black or African-American, what race, I don't know. So here, but, but I could be wrong. So tell me if you think I'm right in that assumption. Okay. Well, let's see if it matters. Yeah. Um, given it is the end of the calendar year, our org is attempting to plan some celebrations to gather coworkers for holiday, for holiday and end of year fun. Last week, our unit's manager put a save the date on our calendars for the event and thanked the only two people of color in our unit for being on the planning committee. So when they write that, my sense is this is not one of those two people. This is a person. And also this person identified themselves as an upstander. Or right. A okay. Upstander. Gotcha. So what, what can I do in this situation and be a better upstander? So... My guess is this person is white, but I could be I mean, wrong. statistically, I think you're right. Yes. Let's just say um, that. <laughs> okay. The, these two people are black women. One, um, I instantly felt uncomfortable given all the data and conversation and pushback from people of color, especially black women, about unpaid labor. Party planning has nothing to do with their jobs, as well as often being assigned to do non-transferable and non-promotable tasks that take their time while simultaneously being expected to overachieve in their actual jobs. This felt very short-sighted given what has been happening uh, in, in the last few years. The bias to assign these tasks uh, to to women is bad enough, but to volunteer the two black women felt like a double dip into unconscious bias. So my first question, I agree, it feels like a double dip into unconscious bias. I think what they mean is uh, is these these people are women who are volunteered and and moreover they are black women. So intersectionality. Um, and I think given how much has been written about how often uh, women get asked to do the party planning, and I think black women get asked to do the party planning even more than white women do, uh, I think that it's it's very hard. This person has to be deeply unconscious, this manager who volunteered these two women to, to plan the party. What do you think? I would, I would, well, first of all, they mentioned the email and the email said that they were thanked. So there was no information that was added to confirm that there were subsequent communications to confirm that they were voluntold. So I'm wondering, I, I do give pause to see, I wonder if this is an assumption or if this is actually. Um, There's more so information. Yeah. More information. But let's assume that they were voluntold um, for the sake of this discussion. Um, the question is also, um, you know, people aren't monoliths. The question mm-hmm. is, 
is this something they want to do? Or is this something they don't want to do? I know in my previous roles, I would do things that were not related to my job, were not going to help me get promoted, but I wanted to do them anyway because they were fulfilling a different part of me that was giving mm-hmm. me some fulfillment or they allowed me to leverage this thing that I was told to do to defer some work that I didn't want to do uh, yes. in my named role. Um, and so a little bit of the piece here is the conversation with the people who are considered affected by this decision. So the the two black women to see what they really do believe in. But I mean, there is a possibility that, that they they are new to the company and they want to make sure that they don't get fired or they are familiar with these activities and, or have been with the company for a long time and know how these things go. And so they feel like they can be of service. So I would just, I think one of the first texts is check it to see if anyone actually is being harmed. I think harmed is assumed yeah, here. So the, yeah. So the first thing to do is, is not to charge in as the upstander but to check in with the right. people in question. And even if there is harm done, there's a possibility they may not want you to do anything because yes. um, fighting that uh, by have, bringing it in a public way or trying to address it may make things harder. So yes. the, those are, there are, but I think the first step is what you're saying that we, you need to confirm that this is actually happening. And also the, the word, if the way that you were told or were informed that there were voluntold, you may also want to verify the source of that information as well. So if it is the women in question, um, then yes, then you have confirmation. But if it's a third party or someone else, like you were talking to another upstander and you you both saw that, you're both pointing it out, you're like, I bet, or this person has, whoever voluntold them, has a track history. You may know this information already, but it's always good to, to confirm it. So how would you go about, how would you have that conversation? Like, I, th- I think I'll tell you, I'll tell mm-hmm. you what I would do. Uh, and then yeah. you can tell me what you would do. So I would go, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pretend I'm talking to one of these women uh, and say, look, I noticed that you were asked to plan the party. Is that something you signed up for? Um, mm-hmm. If so, thank you. But if not, I'm sorry. And is there anything you would like me to do to get you off the hook? Because mm-hmm. I hate it when I get told to plan <laughs> plan the party. Uh, and I often feel like I get told to plan the party because I'm a woman, mm-hmm. not because yeah. I'm a good party planner. So how would, how does that feel to you? I think that's really good. It all depends on the personal relationship. The question is, will they, even if they were told, they may not volunteer that information. So that it really matters about your relationship yes. with the people. But what you could also do, um, this is a, this is just an option. I'm not saying to diminish your suggestion at all. Um, but to say also, I noticed you are part of the planning committee. How do you plan to squeeze all that work in and your full-time job? And yeah. you can maybe gauge their answer to say, oh, I don't That's know how good. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Or they could say something like, oh, I'm not going to be doing both. Uh, I have agreed to like, you know, that hopefully you can gauge some of that answer because if it's, if it, if they say, I have no clue, or they just take a long pause, or sometimes you could read some of their, what they're going to volunteer in terms of emotional reaction to kind of drive the conversation deeper into one location or the other um, to figure out, well, where do you think you need help? 
do you need to be let out of this gig entirely? Or just being able to have that conversation may open some more doors and you can kind of like walk through. That is really good advice. I like that. That's much better. Um, so do what Wesley said, not what I said, <laughs> if you want to be the, if you want to be the good upstander, uh, because you don't want to make, you you don't want to, you don't want to be an upstander who makes assumptions. And, uh, and I think it's so easy to make assumptions, especially, uh, especially when there's so many emotions around these topics. So, uh, so excellent advice. Thank you so much to the person who wrote in. And to our listeners, if you all have stories that you want to tell us, if you if something happened at work and it didn't feel just right and you want uh, Wesley and I and maybe one of our guests to talk through what happened, please write us hello at justworktogether.com and we would love to hear from you. And if you would like to leave a comment or tell us how you like these episodes without a guest, with a guest, we would love your feedback. You can write us at the email address that Kim mentioned at hello at justworktogether.com. And also you can put in a review. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, please put in a review and let us know how you think we are doing. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye.